Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Good, ha happy feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Hey, welcome to the pod. Getting situated here. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Mike uh, rocking the cassock and the slippers. Oh yeah! In honor That's of my Our Lady, festive style. Yeah, uh, I feel bad for Saint Francis, Saint Jane Francis de Chantal, whose feast day got totally annihilated by. Oh yeah, Our Lady. But you know these things. Maybe happen, just I, guess, I think so. the French or the Italians are still celebrating that. Yeah, I think so. I'm sure the French are. Our Lady of Guadalupe is my lady. Yeah, Father Matt Book and I went down to Mexico City to consecrate our priesthood to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Very the nice. uh, first week of our priesthood, so. Uh, she'll always have a special place. And then I love the Hispanics and the mariachis and the Yeah, the mananitas this morning. Up for mananitas, yeah. singing songs to Our Lady. And I, then was, I was not, unfortunately, not not out of uh, disdain, just out of laziness. Um, but And then the, the guys in the house who are from Mexico made tamales. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love those tamales. Yeah, you got right. green, the verde, and you got the rojo. Do you like the verde? I like the verde. Yeah. That's uh, I, I, this is a day that I miss now and not being at uh, Queen of Peace in my last parish because, man, it was just rocking for the whole week leading up to it. Oh, yeah. And then the night, the night before and the day of, it's just like, it's amazing. So it was a very, they very They got all the little guys the running around with little pencil mustaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little Juan, Juan Diego's. Yeah, it was good. So, well, here we are, Father Mike. Uh, it is, um, Mid-December, but I've been wishing people, like, Merry Christmas since, like, uh, mid-November because we're going home in a few days. And, uh, oh, yeah. It feels good. It feels it's like kind it's of like, like the, the prize at the end. feels like it's been Christmas Eve for, like, three weeks. Part of that's because Penny and Sparrow and Josh Garrels just put out Christmas albums. Have you listened to these at all? So uh, Only in your room. Scandalizing uh, the listener base here. I know it's Advent, and uh, we should not be listening to Christmas music, but this year it's just... Just too good. These guys. You no, know, I know. They, I mean, they, I mean, I know that they can't put out this great stuff at Thanksgiving and expect us to. I don't know. So. It's true. I mean, it, it's you don't want to play into like the whole worldly Thanksgiving to Christmas. It's, everything's about presents and right. Santa Claus or whatever. But I don't always know how to distinguish between the Advent and the Christmas songs. Right. Right. And that's just a sound that kind of moves me to joy right. and expectation toward Christmas. So yeah. I think if. If you appropriate it, there's probably certain songs that are very specifically they all seem Christmas. To, they all seem to like "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel," though. Like Penny and oh, Sparrow did that. Josh like Carroll's an exactly, and you then Sufjan has an awesome version of that. It's just like so. Yeah, I'm like we got a little. You got to get Father John's. We got cool Advent playlist. You don't. It's actually Becca Messel's, and it's on Spotify. It's called "The Best Christmas," and that's just what I've been listening to on repeat. So. That's something you can share, right, on the Spotify. Yeah, you, they should, you should be able to find your it. Your playlists and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very good. But uh, we have cause to celebrate, even though it's not Christmas, right? You got, a, you got yeah. your gin and tonic over there? Hold on. The, okay, uh, I'd it. like to raise a toast to uh, Father Mike. This is going to take a little explaining what it is, but here's to the successful defense of your yes. Alexio Quorum, the final experiment, as they say that he uh, successfully defended last week. So I'll explain what this is, but cheers. Yeah, thank you. The um, Imagine that scene in, in Gladiator. You remember, remember the end of the movie oh, no. when he stabs him in the chest and then puts his armor on and throws him out to fight? Do you remember Ooh. that? That's kind of what it was like. It was like one of the gnarliest defenses I've ever experienced. And the reason for that is the, the biblicum where Father Mike studies is so high, uh, high caliber. 
that, uh, yeah. but it was just like, and they guard that these standard. guys. So basically what happened, Father Mike finished his license, this like glorified masters a year ago, and then began this first year, this propedeutic year of the doc, doctor, doctoral program. So if you would have asked him, yeah, I'm doing my doctorate, but you're not technically right. in the doctoral program yeah, until you pass. So at, at the end of the first year, you have tryouts to be whatever, doing research and writing for the school. Right. It's like, now, like if they don't accept you and they move you on, you take the research you've done, develop a paper, and then so and then you know publish it somewhere else, defend it somewhere else. So right. it's a useful year, and you are doing doctoral research, whether you're going to get into that program or not. Right. You know, it's like uh, varsity. You're like varsity now, like you were JV last year, and uh, you know now, now you're yeah. up. Now you're you know I don't know. You would have been like a cornerback. Maybe you're pretty fast. What is yeah. the okay? So the 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 judgment at the end of this thing is. Um, Idoneo, or non idoneo, the candidate is suitable or not suitable. Ah, and, and you that's are, it. They just they, de- they you have this defense, and then they deliberate and they decide whether or not you are right. Idoneo. I'm happy we don't do that for podcast personalities. So, oh, yeah. idoneo, or this one was non oh, idoneo, or something. I'm yeah. surprised that I'm idoneo for this thing, but I think they. I mean, they like they liked the they liked the ideas. They liked the the writing. They liked a lot of things about the project, but um, they do have this sort of gateway yeah, that well. involves. It was more. Like, it was kind of like um, thirty seconds of praise <laughs> from each of three <laughs> professors, and then twenty minutes of me on the ro- against the ropes, yeah. just trying to survive. They're blasting me with questions, lots of criticism of my work, right. all these things. So, yeah, I mean, just imagine it. If you're hearing this, like you know, it's like okay, go off and read for a year. Uh, write an article and then uh, present that article and field questions for 60 minutes, more like 90 minutes, from yeah. three of the world's experts on the field that you're yeah. writing. With a on. lot of a lot of specifics. That's oh where it was hard. Gosh, it was, I, so I wasn't supposed to be there because I'm just like a plebeian who goes to a different university, but I snuck in. I'm sure very obviously they were like, who's that dude? Um, but I brought my Greek New Testament. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You were, <laughs> and they were like, you were who's ready that guy? He doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, but yeah, the questions, I mean, they just threw the Greek up on the screen and you just, bam, you had to just, you know, I was just like, this is crazy. So I was very impressed. Oh, okay. so I'm very, very proud of, uh, my brother here and he's also been teaching some Greek on, on the side as well. So he's got yeah. his little, his little, uh, posse moving through a very, very high level Greek, um, as well. So here's to the next, uh, the next chapter, and to a nice break that's well-earned, yes. which is coming in just a few days. So. I'll take it. Well, thank you. Hopefully, you know, praise God, uh, hopefully this research will be fruitful for the church. You right, know? right. And I, I think it has a lot of potential, you know. Um, hard work in the academic realm, especially which is like an intellectual life in general, can sometimes seem like, why, where is this going? Right. Is there a really, like, tangible outcome? But it always bears fruit. Right. So right. I just like encourage everybody, you know, be attentive to your intellectual life. It's an important part of the Christian life. It is. It is. And I saw that in these scholars. You know, it's like this is just, um, you can't just gloss over things and, and do basic apologetics and just anti-intellectualize the faith because it's we're talking about the logos here and the word. So anyways, I won't diverge onto a, a podcast on this topic, but I just was like, man, that was uh, that was intense. So, But it was it like... Was. It's like gladiator. It was intense. But um, I was sweating, and I was just watching it. And I was like, man, 
So oh, it, it was, was scary. Yeah, I'll it, tell you. Well, it's related to the topic. I don't know if you have anything else, but uh, I can kind of slide into the topic. Well, I would like to make fun of Father Clockman if I can do that before we. Uh, oh yeah, you know so our guest star. I'd like Everybody to ask people loves to stop thing. giving him praise. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten a number true. of a uh, number of uh, very nice emails, but he is just like a sanguine animal. I mean, an animal like. I have. have I don't ever, know these categories. You know, I, I don't was, know these categories. So, what does that mean? He just. Well, Mike, I mean, think of it like praise. this: like he thrives when, on praise. He looks for praise. Yeah, they just, they just love. I mean, it's just like I, I, I got some sanguine too. I understand, but I mean, this is the guy that you know we got to kick out of our room every day for, after coffee because he just loves. He loves to talk. He loves people, and yeah. so he's just like meeting all these people. And I think he was ready for round two, and I think a number of other people were ready for round two, but. They're not going to get it tonight. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. So we needed to get back to. We want to. It was great, and we're very grateful for right. Father right. Clark. So we will eight someday. Eight evil thoughts. Eight evil thoughts. He, it looks like he's going to have a little American tour here of um, uh, speakers. You know, I was like parish you, you, missions. Parish yeah. missions. I was like, you sound like you're just like this freelance priest who's like homeless. Like, please hire me to come out. And he's like, like oh. I know, but he loves it. So I need even work. even the illustrious Father Nathan Goebel said. I'd like to have Father Clockman come out and do a parish mission. Nice. So there you go. You yeah, know you're you in. Go. You know you're in with the connections, uh, the networking, with the Gerbils. So yeah. So yeah. It's uh, that was good. So I just want to thank him as well because that was a, uh, that was quite the uh, experience. And he's he's good. He's a good teacher. So now he's been such a joy to have in town and uh, been a real. He's just a very joyful personality. Yeah. So we got a we got a house full of priests who are great priests. Uh, we usually all come in joyful, and then you get to hard working. <laughs> At the books all day, every day. Oh, yeah. And then you just kind of slow down with that stuff. And to have a guy co- just jump into the mix and it's, bring such joy has been It's like somebody really dropped cool. off a golden retriever puppy like the first week of October. And oh, we yeah. just like get to, you know, come back and we get to play with the puppy. And he's just so happy. And you're just like, yeah, yeah. And nice. he's so social. I mean, he's just running <laughs> around. Hi, what's your name? Oh, nice hey, to meet you. Oh, well, I'd like to friends. meet you. I've friends. never met you. Yeah. The uh, well, and the other thing I want to mention before we go on to the topic was um, I think some people were a little nervous about our travels to Turkey, which is how we left off the last podcast. We oh, said, we're it? going to Turkey for Thanksgiving, and so I think they're wondering, like, are we ever going to hear from these guys again? So, to qualify that statement, um, one of the disadvantages of living in the library and uh, is you have no idea of like current events and unstable places, but fortunately, Evan Coop's mother does, and oh, we yeah. were. We were uh, strongly, strongly advised uh, by a maternal instinct to like probably not a good idea. Yeah, I mean, Turkey. There were, Turkey was in the news, you know, right. Istanbul, where we were hoping to go, was in the news, right. and they were pulling American ambassadors out of there. Right, and we were like, eh, let's go somewhere. So we went, we went, we had a nice Thanksgiving in, in uh, Andalusia, right? Yeah, had sushi dinner. Then that was that was a first and for Thanksgiving. Yeah, probably a last. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was it was, it was wild. It was yeah, just I was unusual. sick. I've been in a bad mood. I you know Father Mike said to deal with me in a bad mood for like three weeks. I have these you know you have these litmus tests for when you're in spiritual desolation where you kind of don't even realize it, and then you're like, wait a second, I've been listening to Daft Punk for like four days. I must be in a terrible place. Is that yours? That was well, that's one of them. I Daft, do... When I find myself listening to Daft Punk, I'm like, this is I'm in, I'm not in a good place. <laughs> this is bad. This is bad. <laughs> I'm going off the rails. Yeah. Why I'm not not all up up all night to get lucky. This is not good. So okay, I'll have to. I do. I do you kinda, have anyone? You I kind of break it up and dance. Have a dance party. But sometimes that just happens randomly. I'm not sure it's always. Well, that was a sign one of, of your New Year's. Wasn't that your New Year's resolution last year to dance? Dance more. more. Yeah. And I did it. D- did you? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I would take little breaks from from work, but I was working in my office. I did, I didn't do that in the in library. The, in the rare books, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm trying to think of what mine. I've got a lot of unhealthy signs. <laughs> Usually artistic. I start just writing songs in public. Writing Greek on your wall or something. Writing, you maybe know. maybe doing that. Yeah, who knows? Maybe I mean you know. But arts and crafts is better than probably Daft Punk. So you know. Alora, I'll let you let Alora. you get into your uh, topic here. He's even got a typed out handout. Look at this guy. I know. Well, I was trying to keep it organized because there's a lot of info, and I watched Father Clockman just like shuffling oh through my banks and banks yeah, of banks paperwork, and, banks. and uh, <laughs> so I didn't. I I know that you got to keep it um, keep it organized. So basically, this comes from um, recognizing basically something like what we've just been talking about that. At, Leading up to this defense that I had, I was suffering a lot of anxiety, um, like even physically. Um, I I was getting sick, but I had to like keep it at bay because I can't get sick right now. So I was just working and pushing myself, and so a lot of things were just kind of like um, I I don't know how to describe it exactly, but it was an unusual time of uh, suffering, pointed suffering, right. And um, it was really an unavoidable time of suffering. You know, I, I was doing this defense to glorify God, to do something I've been asked to do. And so um, I have to deal with the fact that it stresses me out, you know. And I wish that I, uh, maybe if I was more virtuous, it wouldn't so much, but it was, it was just suffering. Right. And in the midst of the suffering, I did not deal well with it. And I just hate suffering, and it reminded me that I, don't do, deal like well with yeah. suffering, and I don't like suffering. Right. Um, there's something very natural about that, but um, I realized kind of in the wake, uh, I'm kind of reflecting on it now and wondering, well, how do I grow in where there are certain mistakes? And one of those mistakes was I just get kind of cold and sharp with people. I'm doing my thing. I don't have time for you. I don't have uh, a whole lot of uh, thoughtfulness during that time. And I don't, I've never been like an extraordinarily cold person. I'm a very warm person. So that's... Very warm for sweet, especially. It stood out. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, my my Scandinavian blood tends to be right. uh, pretty low affect. But um, anyway, I was, I was thinking, how can I grow in compassion? So I started th- spinning ideas about compassion. And um, I also got very interested in the moon. Uh, well, this is, I was going to ask you about that because we were just... Just walking outside, and you made this comment about the moon, and I was like, <laughs> "What?" That was well. Kind of I've bizarre. always and been kind I thought, of randomly. I was like, "Well, he just says random stuff all the time, so you know." That's but true. okay, so there there was something behind the moon. Well, comment. yeah, I mean, I I you were just very attentive when, to the moon I, when tonight. I was like three. I think I've told this story, but when I was like uh, third grade, I wanted to be an astronomer. Ah, okay. I went to the library. I got all these astronomy books, and I bring them home and. Um, they were really complicated, and I got so discouraged trying to understand the concept of these uh, numbers with um, exponential figures that were huge. I just couldn't understand this math and yeah. this, these books. So I brought them back, and I decided I wasn't going to be an astronomer. <laughs> and I told the librarian, and the librarian was like, son, these are like textbooks for college you can't be reading that you're too young for that and i i could never i could never make it i gave up that's funny but i don't know who let me check those books out of the library i know somebody that's amazing you were reading books as a child i was just like 
or looking looking at i think i was trying to just i thought it was looking at the stars yeah i've always liked that so anyway you got the moon up there i've been i've been looking at the moon and the moon's been um waxing of late and leading up to this almost full moon tonight waxing is bigger yeah okay sorry idiot here right it's growing bigger or it looks like it's growing bigger because it's taking on more light okay okay so then i said i want to figure out how to do a nerdy podcast about the visible seas on the moon ah yeah and connect it to the spiritual life right so i'm attempting this is arbitrary to a certain extent but i think it can be used for the sake of of growing into the spiritual life Ah. is this tied back to a couple weeks ago when you we were talking about this. You asked me what are the name of the seas. And the only one I knew was the Sea of Tranquility from the Samples album. Yeah, but that's a good one. You've been still kind of. That's, that's a big one. The biggest visible one. Yeah. So yeah, all right. I two. I think last year, two years ago, my New Year's resolution was to dance more. Right. Last year, my New Year's resolution was to learn the names of the major seas on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so, this all works together. And Coming to an end here, <laughs> right at the end of the year. Yeah, I'm I'm making it happen. Um, I'm before I miss the chance. Oh, do you have a resolution for this year? Coming up on it. No, I haven't. Thought, I don't think about that till about February. Mm. Uh, Chinese very, New Year. Not yeah. very good. <laughs> the uh, New Year's resolutions, obviously. Okay, so my my thought is. I identified seven major seas on the moon. Now, there's lots of seas, right? There's These are like thought to be craters, and um, they're kind of the big spots that you see on the moon, right? Okay. And they call them seas. That's an, of, of um, kind of medieval origin, calling okay. them seas. And then um, the there are seven major seas that you see with a, f- a full moon, right? You know that we only see one side of the moon all the time. I've heard that, yeah. I saw Apollo 13 one time, you know. Yeah. That, you know, they looped around yeah, it. Yeah, they so. land on the moon. Yeah. No, I don't know. I Dark know Side of the Moon is a yep, Pink yep, Floyd very album. Very good yeah. album, yeah. I really don't know much more than that, though. So, okay, yeah, so you so, only see one side of the moon. But I'm also very interested to know how this is going to tie into something Catholic, but I have a feeling it's going to. Oh, yeah, we okay. can do this. Sweet. Okay, so the, the moon goes around the Earth once a month. That's where we get the word month, ah. right? Okay, so the moon makes its full, um, what do you call it? Rotate, rotation. Ellipse. It's not rotation. It's, but uh, what do you call that when the re, res, re, revolution? Revolution. <laughs> oh no! All right, I was trying to be all like. Cool. You're, you're talking to a guy Legit. who invented the word "drice" two months ago. So <laughs> that's true. Probably not the uh, the words. Okay, you're so the for. moon is going to go around the Earth one time in a month. That means you get to see its full uh, cycle of phases. So you get to see light on the one side of the moon. And then um, it grow. It seems to grow into the full moon, and then it uh, it wanes back down into a sliver and a crescent, and then goes away at the new moon. Right, you can't see anything. Right, and this happens at different times during the night. So most of the time, if you're up before midnight, you get to see like the um, the waxing stage, uh-huh. moon growing toward the full moon. Okay, and then you get that big bright full moon. So every right. night it goes to full, and then sh- no. That's once a month. Once a month it does, yeah. okay. Once a month. On the same day? Or um, it changes? Well, no, that changes. Okay. Yeah, you can't Harvest Moon, it. Harvest Moon, that's a good Neil Young song. Yeah. The kind Harvest of on a Moon. music theme tonight, yeah. All right, well, let me get to the C's, dude. All right, sorry. Okay, well, I just kind of 
keep teaching. Okay, so there's seven major C's, and I thought uh, because the moon is is classically and in the fathers of the church tied um, to Mary yes. as an image to, of Mary. Love it because you have the light of the sun, which is like the source of grace, Jesus, and then you have the moon, which is like a major source of light, but it doesn't provide its own light. It only reflects perfectly the light of the sun. Right. It's always been a beautiful image for Mary. Right. And um, and then there's like specific imagery in the Bible from Revelation 12. Mary is standing on the sun. And from Our Lady of Guadalupe, that, um, we don't know who painted that. I'm still not sure. I debated this this morning with the Mexican guys. I think St. Luke painted the tilma in heaven. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, miraculously transports it to Juan Diego. Well, they say Luke did that one right there, Chestahova. Yeah. So Luke is the painter, the classic painter of Our Lady. You know? ah, okay. He contemplated so you Our think Lady. he had the Our Lady, uh, the image. Yeah. I think he painted it. I, and then yeah. um, you have these these guys this morning told me that the angels painted it. Ah, okay. So I don't know. This is all hagiography. I'm probably ruining my credibility. The debate, I, I would just like to plug, though, going to the Shrine of Our Lady Guadalupe because the tilma is, like, unbelievable. It's beautiful. It's, and it's, it's like and to undoubtedly see it, to see it, miraculous. To see it. Like in person, it's just absolutely, and they put you on that little conveyor belt, you know. Oh yeah, down below. I mean, it, it really is. It's un, It's amazing. It's amazing. So. And it, even if you are an absolute non-believer, but you like art, right? You will be moved by this image. Right. right. I don't know why. Right. There is something powerful about this image, right? Okay. So, Our Lady is associated with the moon, and there's also seven sorrows. That is a classic devotion of Our Lady. Okay, here we, we're moving. So I want to connect the seven sorrows to, uh, to the seven moons. So my proposal is as the moon is... Seven seas? Uh, not the seven moons, the seven seas <laughs> on the moon. Okay. Okay, so as the light is, uh, or as the moon is um, waxing toward the full moon, you seas begin to become visible. So for other moon lovers out there uh, who would like to use this as an opportunity to ponder creation and also to grow in, um, a, in a deeper spiritual life, I propose reflecting on meditating on the seven sorrows of Mary, which also serves as like a, a, a way of reflecting on the self and a way of reflecting on the life of Christ, Beautiful. as you'll see. Very nice. Okay. So this devotion, Seven Sorrows of Our, Our Lady, is most... Um, often historically connected with the Servites, a religious order that prays this every day. Um, they reflect on one of these seven each day, and they say, and our Father and seven Hail Marys. And while they think about this mystery and then apply it to their life and kind of live out of this mystery, these mysteries of Mary's sorrows. Okay? Nice. So the first sea on the moon, the sea of crisis. The sea of crisis. The Sea of Crisis. Ooh, it's like the first it. one you see. It's a little. It's a little sea, uh, a little crater, but it's pretty um, uh, dark. Okay. So there's there's a strong contrast, and you can see it with the naked eye. It helps with binoculars or a telescope, but you can see it with the naked eye. Uh, the Sea of Crisis. It's the one that comes first. So if you think at the, the earliest times, uh, before the world had form, it was uh, tohu and wabohu. Tohu wabohu. <laughs> Exactly. It was in crisis. It was a mess. It was, everything was out of order. So um, I do think there's something very primal about this yeah. being the first one. 
Um, you see, you start to see the moon and the beauty of creation, but you also see this mark that's like the fall, like right immediately. Mm. Now, the the sorrow of Mary, um, the first sorrow of Mary is the prophecy of Simeon. So this is Luke two thirty four to thirty five, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, "Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against." And a sword will pierce through your own heart or soul also, that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. So that Simeon tells Our Lady, when they're presenting the baby Jesus, the infant Jesus, in the temple, a sword will pierce your heart. This one is going to bring about the rise and fall of many. This child is destined for suffering, uh, but is also a, a prophetic sign that is going to provoke people. Um, is going to draw people to God, but is also going to draw enemies to himself. So from the very start, Mary is unfortunately um, filled with a, um, a kind of foreboding sense of the destiny of her child. I mean, imagine what it would feel like right. as, a, as a mother to know that even though this child is going to do the will of God, and there were promises made by the angel that this would be their the king over Israel forever, but everything was so nice and rosy right. up until this point where Simeon says, um, and a sword will pierce your heart too. Right. I, uh, I have to confess when I pray the joyful mysteries of the rosary, um, I usually kind of, it like tapers off wanes, so to speak. You mm. like that? Yeah. I do um, like that. Well played. Right after the number three, the nativity, it just kind of like, I kind of check out with the presentation and uh, the finding of the temple, because I kind of don't really, I don't know, just identify with it. But this Advent, it's been different. It's been like oh, presentation yeah. has really kind of come to the fore. It's just all of a sudden for some, you know how this happens in the spiritual life. It's just all of a sudden things just become real. And uh, that's precisely it. Like she's, he's still a baby, you know? Yeah. And you think about the intimacy and the, the kind of the intensity of the flight to Egypt, but then they finally get kind of stabilized and, you know, he's born and the whole bit. And then bam, the prophecy. It's yeah. just like, oh, this is this is going to be, there's going to be suffering. Yeah, there's so, going to be suffering. Yeah. And she wasn't afraid of that. Yeah. I mean, there was probably suffering in uh, the fear of being a mother, uh, fear of being um, rejected, of being uh, mistaken when she says yes to this miraculous mm-hmm. uh, pregnancy, these kinds of things. But yeah, this is the first clear um, sorrow that's, that's uh, connected with Mary and Jesus, you know. Um, <coughs> I think it can relate... Um, I won't dwell on this for very long, but I think it can relate to uh, human suffering of the unknown, not knowing what to expect, what is the future going to hold, to not having control. Um, she has no control of this thing. It's uh, it's something that uh, is just seems to be destiny, you know, um, and of fear of more suffering. So I experienced this a lot in anticipation of a particular date. Right. I knew I was going to suffer. Right, but I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know how to stop it. I didn't have any control to, and I I found myself even getting afraid of of the fear that would kind of increase, mm-hmm. or like what happens if I panic? These kinds of like fear of fear. It was just like building on itself, and I had to calm myself down. But um, there was something of just anticipation that um, wasn't suffering in the moment. It was suffering something that I wish I didn't have to, but I had I was preoccupied about the future. Right. 
Okay, second one. Second. I have a million thoughts, but I'm like, I got to let you keep rolling here. Sorry uh, about sorry. that. So. You're, you're the timekeeper, too. Okay. Um, well, I just we'll have this, the 60-minute thing of if we pass that, we're never going to hear the end of this no, from Goble. No, no, no. I don't want to pass that either. We're never, we're never, it, we will never hear the end of that. Oh. So. Okay. So uh, second C, the Sea of Fecundity. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm not sure, you know, who, I don't have Who like named a, these seas? Do you know? Yeah, they were named by various people in the... Uh, 16, hmm, 1500, 1500s, 1600s. Okay. F- 1600s. Okay. And they've taken on different names, but then eventually settled. Okay. Wow. In that's the, interesting. In the 1600s. So, the um, and we've, we've fecundity. kept up those, those names from that, um, mid 1600s. I'll have to find that, those names out for you. That's all right. Post them on the Facebook page. Okay. So, um, the Sea of Fecundity. Maybe you maybe you think of like Jesus is growing up. There's some sort of uh, fruitfulness to his life, um, but this one, the suffering in Mary's life, the second suffering is the escape and flight into Egypt, Matthew two, uh, twelve to sixteen. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there till I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, was in a furious rage, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the wise men. So you have this flight into Egypt. And in a short re- reflection, I just thought of the, um, the uncertainty of, of, of Mary, knowing that this was supposed to be the child who's, who was supposed to fulfill the hopes of Israel. Why are we going away from, is- from the land of Israel? Why are we going into Egypt, into this foreign land? Mm-hmm. How does this make sense? And I thought, in my life, usually the suffering, uh, or often the suffering, takes the form of asking the question, where is God taking me? Uh, it doesn't feel like it's going to help. You know? Mm-hmm. There's been times when I say, why am I in Rome? Right. How is this really helping the, helping the church? I was doing good, baptizing people, um, doing, celebrating uh, weddings, um, burying people. I... I I felt the the um, purpose of that, and the, and I could see the fruits of of that kind of work in a way that when I come over here and I started studying, and still there are times when I say I don't see the fruit of my my work. How can this really be serving God? Maybe I went the wrong way. Maybe God has driven me down a path that is uh, fruitless. Yeah. You know? So um, yeah, the escape and flight into Egypt. Well, it's an interesting connection between fecundity and suffering. I mean, that's a huge thing, you know, that the cross is the source of all Christian fruitfulness, but that the cross is a place outside of the holy city, you know, mm. just like um, Mary's flight it, it, with Joseph and our Lord is into the desert, you know. So yeah. it's like the the weird thing about the Christian life that gets constituted by this mystery is that sometimes, like, God calls you in, out of the sacred, you know, to the to the fringes, to the right. Um, 
to the to the very edges to the wilderness, and that becomes the source of fruitfulness. Right. You know? And I don't feel holy anymore. Right, but it's like it, I'm not. Yeah, you're experiencing it as a human. It's like this is everything's falling apart. This is this is backwards, you know. And uh, but there's something about that that that's that's the source of like real fecundity. Those are the those are the as a when we're directing people, I think we probably both point to this. Like these are the times of real, yeah, where, where fruit will now really bear in your soul and in, and in the world, maybe in a mysterious way. But and here one thing to point out: one Mary is suffering this. She has to trust the discernment of another person. This isn't Jesus who had all these miracles around his birth. This isn't her own heart. This is she has to trust Joseph who had a dream that told him to do this. Yeah. What if his dream is wrong? Where right. are we going? This is like serious. Right. You can't I, be acting on dreams of angels, you know? I'm happy Mary is not listening to my dreams because they're crazy. Yeah, you and you have hear, wild dreams. And you hear it about this. It sounds like Joseph You hear wild about this dreams. every day. Every day, Donald Trump and Becca Messel's dad and I were solving some world crisis like two nights ago on a plane, you know? I thought it was a helicopter. Yeah, well, it was like born identity-ish, you know? So it was something like that. So I'm, cool I'm happy. Dreams. You have cool I'm, dreams, though. Yeah, but I'm happy that... These dreams but are imagine leading if you our told lady. Me, I, well, I, dude, we're I had a dream. To, we're going to Hungary. We gotta go. Yeah, we gotta go. Yeah. We got a mission from God. Yeah, I'm not sure. I would. I trust you. <laughs> I mean, I trust you. Well, okay. Third, I wouldn't. I would not. Yeah. Third sea and third sorrow, the sea of nectar. Oh. Okay. I don't know how to connect the number <laughs> three, the sea of nectar. Maybe you can think of something while I'm explaining All the right, sorrow I'll, I'll of think Mary. Real hard here. <laughs> Okay, so the third sorrow of Mary is the loss of the child Jesus in the temple of Jerusalem. Okay, you remember that story? Yeah. Uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they go up as a family to the pa- the Passover feast. Right. And with all their, with all their kin. And then um, after the Passover feast, presumably eight days, they are going home and they think that Jesus is with the family and then um, he's not. So they go back to to town and they say and when they saw him they were astonished and his mother said to him son why have you treated us so behold your father and i have been looking for you anxiously and he said to them how is it that you sought me did you not know that i must be in my father's house and they did not understand the saying which he spoke to them and he went down with them and came to nazareth and was obedient to them and his mother kept all these things in her heart and jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with god and man so they were actually pained, you know. These are parents who are good parents and who are afraid to have lost their child. So the 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 suffering of Mary is in some way the suffering of the fear of the as a mother, you know. Um, uh, but it's also um, the suffering of confusion of not understanding uh, what other people need to do, where God is taking them, and um, I think that's something about something about letting go uh, something about um trusting in god and other people's discernments as a di- as a director i'm sure parents run into this when a kid says i need i need to do this whether it's seems to be like a bold step for god going to a religious life or going on a retreat or taking to a years of mission work or whatever it is um i'm sure that's a concern sometimes for parents yeah um, but even as a director, sometimes people say, oh, I really think God is calling me to do this or that. And you say, I don't know. That's like not my style. I don't understand. Could God really 
call you to that. And he might be. Right. And so there's a suffering of, I have to let go. I can't have control over other people. You know, there's a, f- a radical freedom in the Christian life. And even if I want something very good for somebody, I don't get to, like, make that happen. You know? Right. And, and we have to have, like, real respect for freedom. That's mm-hmm. part of the Christian project. And, and that, that would be required of everybody, especially when you're directing them, is you can't, there's no uniformity. There shouldn't be. If there is, that we, it's problematic. In terms of the connection with nectar, yes. first thought, there's a fish song on nectar, but I will not get into the bizarre lyrics uh, behind it. The only thing I can think of is this. This is so cheesy, but I'm just like, if you, um, you get the nectar of the spiritual life when you ponder, like Mary. Because her, oh, pon- yeah. her pondering... It is sweet. It's sweet. It's sweet. She she gets through the suffering because she kind of ponders these things in her heart. But it takes it takes time. So there's that... Is it ambrosia? Would that be your, yeah. your Roman Roman guy? With the nectar of the gods. So you, you get to that. There is sweetness, you know. But... Uh, yeah, or you, you can, you you can think of... these things kind of... This is just heart. like totally mnemonic, but you could think of the sweetness of the Passover feast. They're there for a feast right. in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And remember that this is there you go. connected to the temple. Okay, uh, number four is the Sea of Tranquility. Yes. Here's your sea. Uh, one of the most visible, it's almost the, the central sea and a very large sea of tranquility. Um, it's connected to the fourth sorrow of Mary, the meeting of Mary and Jesus on the Via Dolorosa. Ah. Okay, so this is Luke 23, 26 to 31. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never gave suck. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So Jesus meets these women on the road, these women who, who had uh, been friends and uh, mother, had, had followed him and supported him through years of life, either 33 years for Mary or at least the three years of his public ministry for some of these women. Now they find him um, sentenced to death, walking to his death, um, having been whipped and mocked and crowned and beaten. <coughs> and he stops along the road. This is part of the Via Dolorosa, you know. Um, and the Sea of Tranquility is a funny word. It kind of communicates like peace, mm-hmm. but also something of um, like being anesthetized, of kind of I'm forcing myself to be tranquil. You know, you think of a tranquilizer gun. Yeah. Uh, it puts you to sleep, but it's sort of it's forced and drugged, you know. So I think of um, the kind of suffering in my life. Now, Mary um, probably did not experience the same kind of, like, forcing herself to um, to just get through a situation and the suffering of, I'm going to numb myself. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And that's what it made, made me think of. If I was in this position, uh, she certainly would have been shocked, would have been stunned. That's very human. That's very normal. It's a, just a, a matter of reacting to a situation. It's a stage of grief, this sort of denial and, and, sh- and 
stunned. I don't have a problem saying Mary has that. Yeah. But um, what I do usually is that when I sit in the sea of tranquility, if I run into real injustice, real suffering, and I have no idea what to do about it, I can't change this. I'm seeing suffering. I'm witnessing it. Um, I'm experiencing it. I just want to ignore it or to anesthetize myself. Yeah. I want to run. I yeah. either want to drug myself with, um, I don't know, Sour Patch Kids, <laughs> um, running to activities, right. work, right. movie, you know, whatever it is, I just want to escape. And this is like a tranquil... Tr- there's a rest in that, tranquility, but it's also like I'm not at peace. Yeah. And there's a suffering to it. No? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think... Um the uh, Balthazar loves that German word Gelassenheit. Remember, we talk about that. Oh yeah, Gelassenheit is is like just stillness, interior stillness. Mm. But um, the approach to suffering, where you just become kind of just unaffected, basically. Yeah, that's not Christian. That's Stoic and mm. Buddhist. And so Balthazar really resists that. You know, it's right. not uh, it's not uh, the absence of affectivity, this apatheia. You know, the absence of feeling, of absence mm. of pathos. Um, that's not a Christian response to things. That's kind of what we do. If you're from Northern European descent, you know, we just kind of bliss out. But then we do crazy things. You know, it always it always comes out. But what's interesting about the um, the concept of tranquility is that. Um, the, these are Mediterranean people, you know. Semitic people are—they're extremely oh, yeah. effective, you know. Yeah, there's a lot, and of they're passion. wailing, and there's passion, and this kind of cra- so it's in, it's an interesting contrast between um, the the kind of the emotional chaos of the women walking with him who love him, you know, and then Mary. But Mary is not Mary is tranquil in quotes, like you're saying, but it's not this empty affectivity. She's she's really kind of suffering and experiencing this but but in a way that's not, that's um, not like out of control yeah or hopeless right. or denying something right i w- just watched the ski video a couple of days ago that keenan fitzpatrick oh, yeah. gave us and it had the spanish quotes of uh, heart of darkness and it was and clockman came in very existential half, very existential so you know these patagonia movies it's like half uh like just awesome guys ripping it up on the and then it's like real artsy shots we lost a little power there. We're still going. Okay. Artsy shots um, with like a guy reading in Spanish, the uh, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness or something. Oh, yeah. Clockman walks in halfway, stays five minutes and says, he says, what is this? This is like Buddhist stuff. And then he walks out. <laughs> and I was like, you don't understand, man. This is like deep stuff. But it was Colorado. very, but it was very, the, the, the philosophical kind of underpinnings of this movie, which was an awesome movie. We're very much so this tranquility, Galassenheit. You know, you just go out. It's yeah. it's called um, solitudes or solitary right. or something like that. But it's very much so that kind of style. And I think that's the predominant right. thing in but our we culture. We want that. Right I mean, it speaks to people. Right. It speaks to their interests. Right. But it's not real. It's not real. You it's know? not possible. To, to yeah. pretend that life doesn't have suffering right. or that you can escape, that means you're going to escape to your own island right. and, um, and not engage the world. Right. Because... People bring problems, right. and uh, real situations bring problems. Responsibility brings and um, and affectivity. Affectivity. Sorry, we're getting these pops here. We're getting lights are going out. Affectivity is a human thing. This yeah. is human, and so you're den- you're denying part of your humanity by just yeah. shut- shutting these things down. So, so here's a here's a contrast. The next moon yeah. or the next sea. Is this moon. number five. This is number five. Okay. Uh, serenity. Oh. 
Serenity now. Serenity now. Seinfeld. Now, okay, so there's tranquility where you anesthetize yourself, but there's also serenity where you you really do have a deep, enduring peace, and you tap into the deep, enduring peace in spite of really terrible times or really, like, feelings of agitation and all these things. So this um, corresponds to the fifth sorrow of Mary, the crucifixion of Jesus on Mount Calvary. Now, all we hear of, of Mary is that she was standing there we don't hear of the screaming and wailing of right. you know the women on the on the road. Um, it's John nineteen twenty five to thirty says. So the soldiers did this. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, "Woman, behold your son." Then he said to the disciple, "Behold your mother." And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, etc. Then he says, it is finished. Uh, a couple of verses later. So here's Mary. She's st- standing there in perfect serenity. And she's depicted this way in art. If you look, mm-hmm. um, this is a, a beautiful uh, recognition of um, an enduring peace that can come from the Christian life in spite of suffering. I mean, she really was suffering. She is a mother who is watching her son die by cruel capital punishment. And it it was very painful, I'm sure. And I don't think that gospel writers were ignorant of that. Mm -hmm. They're painting us a picture Mm -hmm. of a very serene mother Mm -hmm. and and pointing to this as a grace of the Christian life. This is possible to be the mother, to watch your own son die this way and to be at peace. So um, that's like an image, I think, of grace and suffering. Beautiful. Okay, number six, the sea of rains. Rains. Yeah, rains. Imbrium. So it's like rains or storms, rainstorms. This kind of rain. Okay, that kind of rain. The the sorrow of Mary, the sixth sorrow, the piercing of the side of Jesus Uh, and his descent from the cross. So this is the Pieta. Yeah. And you can imagine her uh, tears flowing like rain in uh, when... Jesus is taken down and given to her. It's some of the most beautiful imagery in all of Christian art of Mary holding her son after he's been taken down. And the piercing of the side. And the piercing of so the, the side. So the flowing out of water. It gushes out. And the and um, blood, which was the fathers interpreted as the birth of the church, the right. sacraments of baptism, and, and uh, the Eucharist as the new Eve is being born from the side of yeah. Christ. But clearly a suffering for Our Lady. Right. Um, she's dealing with the real death of her son, who promised that he would rise again, but we, this is still difficult. Yeah, it's still got to be difficult. Now, every every Christian person believes that their loved ones rise again, and it doesn't make their death any less difficult or any less sad or any less tragic, right? We're called to mourn with those who mourn, and we're called to mourn and suffer the death of people. Um, because something changes and we we lose someone. Now, Christian always has hope in that. It's not a despairing thing. Mm. Um, but we are called to accept that as a sadness in life. Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. Um, and it's something that's very important that our culture is very afraid to do. I think it can be a great witness when Catholics know how to mourn and who are willing to be sad and to be willing to show that. Mm-hmm. Um, to a culture who just wants to forget this piece. Right. There is no death. I don't want to think about it. 
say nice things, let's get it over with, whatever, you know. Yeah. Instead well, and now people are not even doing funerals, you know, that's kind of the new thing, where it's just, just completely... Yeah. Get rid of this whole, well, whole, I know whole bit. People so. don't like it, but it's yeah. very human, it's very healthy. Yeah, it is. Good. Okay. Seventh, uh, the Sea of Clouds. This sea is the last clouds. one. It's a big one. It's kind of spread out with little, little kind of craters. Okay. And so it looks like clouds. Um, the seventh sorrow of Mary is the burial of Jesus by Joseph of Arimathea. You know, the women wrap Jesus' body in clothes and, and perfume it. But um, that's all part of that very sad process of uh, putting him in the tomb. And this is an, uh, an important moment, of course, for our friend Balthazar, who says that it's very important for the Christian to um, meditate on and accept this time where Jesus was dead. Right. Where are you? Um, the silence of God, right. the death of, of, of Jesus, and that experience of suffering, that, I, that feeling that God is gone. Um, you know, the great saints and mystics talk about times when the spiritual life becomes so dry, there's a death to faith and hope and love, and certainly experiences of the joy of the Christian life that we've had. You know, consolation mm-hmm. goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are times when every Christian, especially deep Christians, feel like, I don't know where God is. And that's a terrible suffering to a Christian. In right. fact, probably the worst. Right. Um, so I, times get cloudy, mm-hmm. right? Sad um, with uh, the silence of God. The yeah, burial. and we got the, the movie coming out, you know, Silence. Scorsese's uh, Shizaku Endo, which we should actually probably do a podcast on that. But yeah, it's interesting. These we, are, we might have to save that for Goebel. He loves those movie podcasts. Yeah, he does, yeah. But yeah, this is such an interesting topic. Very creative, very creative, Michael. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, no, but yeah, the, the re- too much to go. No, on. it's cool. It's like it's nice. It's uh, nice. Yeah, uh, it's, if I can kick off some, it's nice to think about this stuff. Know. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. So I have so many things I want to say, but I'm just kind of like you know what, Basta. But I do have two points at the end of this that I'd like to in soma, mm-hmm. as they say in Italy. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you're, you well, know. let me just make this last point. Right. Um, this is kind of sentimental. But I liked this at when I was thinking about it, and I don't know exactly how to articulate. Do they know it. you're very sentimental? I don't yeah. Know. Did, well, you're going to find out. I, th- I mean, after I think seven the, years, the, the ladies in Texas like that, whatever. Oh yeah, they, they and okay. curls, curls for girls is so five o'clock. This is going to sound very K love, and okay, I, I kick myself for doing it, but I, I do think it's beautiful. Um, the moon comes into view, and you see all these blemishes. You see all these craters. Um, kind of marking the surface, and we've gone through a, a, a meditation on the sorrows of Mary, all of these things that have marked and beaten up her, her life, you know? But in the end, um, the moon shines all the more beautiful and glorious um, because of the contrast of those, those uh, dimples, you know? All the freckles make her all the more, uh, more beautiful. And I do think part of the struggle of Christian life is to be honest and to explore and to understand the places of suffering in our life and to recognize those and to, and to, um, to let the Lord shed his light on them, mm. to not, not to hide them from ourselves or, or from God, um, but also recognizing that when taken as a whole, um, it's, it's good, mm-hmm. it's beautiful, and it's, it's um, fruitful. You know, Jesus says... I am the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. And I think 
a lot of us want to hide that light under the bushel basket because we've become very aware of our faults, our sufferings, those um, those things that we particularly suffer. Um, so part of it is recognizing that, coming uh, to accept that, and um, and to be grateful to God for our whole life, and uh, and to recognize a bigger picture in that big perspective. Um, God is doing something great, and our lives are a light to others. That's not Caleb. That's beautiful. That's Caleb. The, no, it's not it's, Caleb because even Balthazar says it's sappy, but it's beautiful. he says that the um, he meditates on the wounds of Christ. You know, in the resurrection, the wounds of Christ uh, remain, but they're transfigured, so they're not painful anymore. Mm. But they're there. Thomas, you know, puts his hand into the into the wounds, into the hands. So he talks about the Christian life. You know, we wound each other. That's part of what we do. Um, as Christians, uh, Christ heals wounds, but he doesn't take them away. So we carry the scars of human life um, like the seas of the moon, so to speak, just mm-hmm. like the scars that Mary carried uh, from suffering, but they're transfigured and they become uh, kind of the beautiful uh, and they start to radiate the form of, of the Trinitarian love that gets imparted into the soul. And that's that's in some ways even more magnificent, more yeah, beautiful. it's more glorious. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's Caleb. That's good stuff. I'll make two quick points, yeah. and, then we'll, and then we'll hit it. Uh, I study and I think about Mary a lot. And so one, one question that people often have is, um, so, like, Mary is, like, really important at the beginning, but then you look at the, you read the Gospels, and you think, Jesus is trying to kind of just get her, like, can you stop, you know? Wedding feast to Cana, like, what does this have to do with me? She comes up with his brothers or cousins or whatever and says, and he says, who are my, who is my mother? You know, these things. Right. And so it, it looks like he just keeps pushing her away, pushing her away. But what I like about this podcast, and I would point this to the deeper logic, is that Christ, the Christ's life is marked by the incarnation and by the paschal mystery. These are the two definitive moments of, of the Christian life, the cross and resurrection, but it begins in the incarnation. So too, Mary's fiat is perfect in the beginning, right? She gives mm. the, the all-encompassing, total, and complete yes on behalf of creation that allows God to literally come in, uh, in, in his humanity, into the womb. Um, but that fiat has to be, so to speak, crucified through the course of her life. Yeah. And it, uh, and so Jesus is progressively teaching her and preparing her to fashion that fiat that was there in the beginning uh, at the foot of the cross in a different way. Just in the same sense that his incarnation had to be led, though in his perfection. And so it, it demonstrates the humanity of Mary that she had to be led, but it doesn't take away from their relationship. He's leading her. He's not rejecting her, but he's, he's, it's, through the suffering that she's experiencing through her life, she's being led to make that perfect fiasco at the foot of the cross when the church is going to be. Yeah. And she gives the perfect yes as the personal existential center of the church at the moment of its conception at the foot of the cross. Yeah. And that's what we, we that's like beautiful. about it. I right? love that he points that out right. because I do think that would be the harder yes. Right. Not to hate everyone, not to resent everyone, not right. to... Th- you know, put a stop to it, to ask Jesus to come down. She doesn't ever do that. Right. The people who have no idea what's going on, but she is uh, amazing at the right. moment, you know? Well, here's a little K-love to finish this off. Yeah. So we love right. we love our spiritual daughters, right? And uh, the church is feminine, and I've never had less interaction with women and more time thinking about the feminine in my life as I have this last two years studying ecclesiology. But this is what I would say. 
uh, and this is especially for women. Mary is the model, but Mary moves from daughter Zion to bridal ecclesia by the cross, right? So she embodies the daughterhood of Israel, and she is founded as the bridal spousal life of the church, but by the way of that is through the and cross. And the mother. And the mother. And so the mm-hmm. point of all this to say is that for the women who are listening to this podcast, the way you move from being a daughter to being a bride, mother, is by way of the cross. Ooh. That's Mary. And that's our job as priests is to help you walk through that. And this is all analogous for guys, but it just it's just a little easier. <laughs> To understand for the ladies. Well, who are I forgot to mention that, the, or I, I might have mentioned that this was, um, this is also a devotion. Seven Sorrows of Mary is also called a devotion to Our Lady of Compassion. Mm. Uh, that word meaning co- um, to suffer with compassion. And so it's a devotion that helps one to develop compassion by learning from Mary nice. how to suffer things well and to suffer with people who suffer. So that was kind of the goal in the, at the beginning. I realized I'm getting hard. I'm getting tough. I'm getting like sharp with people, and I want to grow in compassion. So right. I found like Our Lady. I'm happy. I'm gonna try this new devotion out for the next few months. Nice. Well, this has been very interesting. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, de- it's well done. Definitely different. Well hey, done. can I give a shout out? Go for it. Get your shout outs. I want to shout out my sister Marsha. Marsha. She's been listening to the show. Uh, she's been keeping me up to date with uh, her comments on it and, and the, laugh, the, yeah, the laughs that, that my, fa- my family gets from it. And she really loves the show. And I, I have uh, a, a deep and profound respect and love for my sister, Marsha. And uh, I think she's a great Catholic. She has um, overcome some huge things in her life and is a remarkable person. And I'm glad she likes the podcast. So here's I'm, a shout-out, Marsha. I'm honored she listens. That's great. Yeah, Marsha, we're very excited to be in a, in a hut skiing with you. Yeah, we're going to see you days. Soon. That's going to be great. So. Any others or should I go? Uh, well, there's another one, Joe McGill. Joe McGill. But Joe I, McGill. Yeah. Say something else Scottish. I, I get nothing for you, Joe. But you eat your pot pie like a warrior poet, Joe. Yeah. We had dinner with him on See, uh, I can't do Saturday. That's I can't good. either. Did you, yeah. That's great. Joe McGill is really cool. He's a great charismatic fella who um, is connected with our friend uh, Tony, O'Neill Tony O'Neill. Oh, yeah. Joe. Home. Super. Loved meeting you, man. It was great. So. Yeah. And then finally, uh, Michael Palmer and uh, Isabel Turquette, who came by the house in Rome and we had lunch the other day. Michael's from Boulder, and uh, you had met him a yeah. little while back. But Great guy. I'm not sure if he listens to the show, but I think he was interested in that. There, so. well, yeah, he, What's he, up, buddy? This is why He's we give cool shout-outs so they listen to the show, so that's nice. I had lunch with a uh, guy who listens, uh, Matt. I don't know how to pronounce it. I, I'm in the Italian thing, so it's like Matt Maiale would be like the Italian, but I think it's just like Miley or Maley. Uh Anyways, he's at the... Like pork? M-A-I-L-E. How would you pronounce that? Obviously, we know my struggles with pronouncing words. Male. Male. That's probably it. Maley. Matt Maley. Matt Maley. Matt Maley. We had a great lunch on Sunday, and uh, he's just an awesome college seminarian, SJV, my old stomping grounds, so thanks for listening, man. Um, Keenan Fitzpatrick has been on me for two months about this one. Now, granted, I, I, I haven't been dogging it, but just, just didn't get to it, but do you remember a certain girl named Brittany Lancaster? 
remember that name. She lived with I'm your sister sorry, Hannah. Brittany. Hannah at CSU. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, now it came back. Okay. We're we're Facebook friends. I set you up for that one. So, anyways, she's now Brittany Kemp. Oh, she, she got married? married two weeks ago. Oh, congratulations! To uh, a close friend of Keenan Fitzpatrick's named Taylor Kemp, who is this like rock star. Um, professional soccer player oh lucky guy this and yeah, she's uh, great yeah so she's great he's awesome taking me to the church last easter and uh this is like one of those guys where you're just like yeah i don't even know him but i'm like man he's just inspiring so I'm, yeah I'm just right like, on I, I like these two hey, good for i don't you, buddy. i don't know these two at all but i uh, i like them already so i look yeah, forward shout to, out Britt. look good. forward to uh to meeting them i both. haven't seen her in a long time well, there you Hannah, go. make this happen. Hannah, Christmas make, is coming. Make it happen, Hannah. So we're coming home, and we're excited about it. So that's it. That's it for me. All right. God bless you all. Catholic, keep watching that moon. Keep watching that moon. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. We forgot to mention that moon song by Isaacoff, who we're going to see in concert in a week. As a final shout-out, our favorite musician. How my favorite, as she said. Oh, nope. Nothing. Yeah, no, I know. That moon song. But you didn't sing any lyrics. You just I don't know any of them. Oh, 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 All right, we're done. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>